Hi, and welcome to the Insiders by Durham Lane, where we get perspectives from industry thought leaders about strategies that are unifying marketing and sales cycles to help accelerate growth inside your world. Simon and I were delighted to be joined for this special episode by Richard Smith, VP of Sales for EMEA at Elego. Although Richard is now a recognized sales leader, he entered the profession like Simon and myself did, by chance, a move we like to call here at the Insiders, the Happy Trip Up Club. During our discussion, we covered topics such as what prospecting approaches work best, the impact of call reluctance or call anxiety, how technology enables but human connection is still key, and the sales coaching disconnect. I even managed to get Durham Lane's belief equation in there. Anyway, it was certainly fun to record, and I'm hopeful as always that you'll take a range of ideas away with you to implement and develop your practice. Enjoy our conversation with Rich Smith, and see you again soon. Hello and welcome to The Insiders by Durham Lane, an industry podcast giving you the inside track on all things B2B sales and marketing. I'm your host, Simon Hazeldean. I'm an author, sales expert and keynote speaker on all things sales and negotiation. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, the CCO and co-founder of Durham Lane, Richard Lane. Richard, great to be back with you for yet another episode of The Insiders. Could you tell us a little bit more about Durham Lane before you introduce our guest, please? Yeah, hi, Simon. Great to be back in the Insiders podcast studio. Very quickly on Durham Lane, we're an integrated sales and marketing agency. What do we do? Well, we help our customers create always-on channels of meaningful, well-qualified sales opportunities that business development teams love to close. So today's conversation, uh, I really think, is going to be very meaningful in, in helping us achieve some of those goals. So thrilled to be joined by Richard Smith, VP of Sales Amir for Alego. So Rich, welcome. Uh, really pleased to have you on the podcast and uh, looking forward to the conversation. So I'm going to hand back to Simon and Simon's going to get us started and uh, off we go. Wonderful. Thanks, Richard. And uh, Rich, and we've got two Richards. I think one's a Richard and one's a Rich. We had two Simons on a previous episode, so uh, this might cause us logistical challenges. We'll stick with Rich if that's okay. Uh, Rich, what we always ask our guests to do, just give us a little background, how you came to be in the role you're in currently. Yeah, yeah. Well, delighted to be here, gentlemen. How I landed where I am today is, I guess, off the back of a 13-year career in sales where, like many, I kind of found myself leaving university with a, um, quite frankly, pretty useless degree by the end of it, realizing I was too thick to become a developer. And so I, yeah, sort of fell into sales because one of my friends said, hey, you'd be, you'd be good at sales without any sort of real rationale or reason behind it. So um, yeah, started life as uh, what is commonly known as an SDR these days, but it wasn't so much known as that back in those days, working for a, a small software startup in the Northeast. Basically, I guess, ground my way through a couple of years doing that rule, booking meetings for uh, sales consultants in the team, kind of progressed to sort of closing my own small deals over the phone, realized I, I could do that and then kind of work my way up to, I guess, more of a, a full cycle sales rep in that regard. And then um, after that, I, I was very fortunate to co-found a, a startup company called Refract. I think in that period of that sort of four or five years of building that company, I, I feel like I learned more about sales in that period of time than the six or seven years before that. Yeah, that company was a great journey. We we sort of grew that business from just the two of us to a, a team of 30 odd people. And then um, we were acquired by a Lego who I now work for in uh, the end of 
2020. And so my, you know, my role here is all about just growing and building the revenue organization in, in EMEA from a pretty successful North American business, I'd say, who are looking to expand their footprint in uh, other parts of the world. So uh, yeah, that's the, the two-minute story. Wow, wonderful. That's uh, That must have been a, a fantastic journey. And uh, Richard, we have yet another member of, of uh, what we refer to as the Happy Trip Up Club. So yes, we sort indeed. of end up with in selling by accident. So uh, Rich, I was also told I should be in sales, but they did qualify it for me. They said, because you talk a lot, which actually <laughs> probably wasn't wasn't the best advice yeah. uh, I've, I've ever had. Great to have another Happy Trip Up Club member on the Insiders. Um, in our pre interview rich before we came on air we were discussing that some channels of of prospecting are more effective than others and i know this is a subject close to your heart i've been uh, taking a good look at your book problem prospecting and that that covers a variety of different prospecting methods to bring this all sort of right up to 2023 what's your perspective on what's working from a prospecting point of view right now firstly what i would say is i i feel like Given a lot of the stuff I post on LinkedIn, there's I maybe have this image of, of this person who is all about, you know, cold calling, the phone's the only thing that, that works, when actually the reality is is not that. I still believe that the phone as a channel when it comes to prospecting is alive and well, and, and I see that in the data in our own team. So it's not just my hypothesis. I, I see this in the pipeline that we create as a business using the, the phone. But I do feel like the route to a successful prospect and strategy is using all these channels that are now available to us. Even when I started in the role, there was pretty much two channels. You had the phone and you had email and that was it. And I think there's so many other methods at people's disposal now to, to, to break through the noise. So, you know, and I kind of touch upon these in, in the book. You've got, you know, obviously the phone, you've got email, you've got social, you've got direct mail, you've got video, you've got audio notes, you've got text messages. Like the truth of the matter is, is that if you just rely on one channel, you're not going to maximize your potential because here's the reality. Some people will never, ever answer their phone. You know, I, I see it. People say out loud, they say, hey, if I, get an, if I get a call on my mobile from a number I don't recognize, I'm simply not answering it. So, of course, the phone just will not be a successful channel with that prospect. So the, the key is is um, making sure that you use the, the right blend, and but also spending more time on the channels that you do have most success on. You know, I think it'd be wrong to say that you do an equal split across all channels. You, I think over time you will find one channel that is really gives you the biggest bang for your buck, and that's the one that you should um, obviously invest more time doing. And I guess, you know, your comment's really, really critical, isn't it? That no one channel works for all types of customers. And so there is a certain amount of experimentation, which, mm. you know, and having a look and, and seeing what works. But also, I'm just, it was just interesting on reflecting your comment that you say to somebody, the telephone, and they say, I never answer my telephone to those sort of calls. And they apply that to everybody else. Mm. And that's actually not true, is it? Because, you know, I, I never answer a sales email or I never answer this, but lots of other people do. And I think that that sometimes is used as a bit of a, like an overgeneralization, isn't it? hundred percent. I hear a lot of people saying cold calling doesn't work anymore. You've got data to say it does, Rich. Yeah. I, I mean, quite frankly, if people say it doesn't work, it is a lie. And I can prove that lie by showing people that we book meetings on the phone, so it, it's too much of a blanket statement to make. And I do feel that typically that comes from, I think, a couple of places when people make those statements. A, they're kind of, what they're saying is, I wouldn't like to be prospected via that channel myself. Or B, 
they simply aren't that effective with that channel, right? And they may have tried it. They may feel like it makes them uncomfortable. They, they, they maybe understand that they're not actually that skillful using that method. And so they, they just assume that it doesn't work. Most things don't work if you're not that good at them, quite frankly. It's too much of a blanket statement. And um, again, I kind of look at the data in my in my company across our entire pipeline where we generate meetings from. 50% at least of those meetings come from, from the phone. It's a, it's, a, it's a very, very strong channel for us. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's... Uh, you know, I'm a big I'm a big fan of using data when you're working with sales and salespeople. And you know, what's the actual data telling you? Not what is your right. generalized view of the world, right? That's just based on an opinion rather than on on fact. What are your thoughts on other other channels that maybe um, we haven't touched on? Direct mail, gifting. Some people seem to think is is useful. Richard might have some examples of where this sort of direct mail uh, Durham Lane has been been effective. Something that we haven't tried so much, but I'll tell you one story. I was in the office of uh, my former colleague, Mark Akers, this week, and he, he held up this tea towel. <laughs> he was like, look at this. I was like, what has he shown me? This tea towel that's had this like almost like a written note on this tea towel. I was like, what is it? And he was like, well, read it. And, I, and it was basically a, a tea towel with a handwritten with a marker pen on it. It was a guy trying to sell to Mark, and Mark said, "How could I not respond back to this guy <laughs> yeah. who's like got the effort?" <laughs> and I just thought, like, "Wow, that's it." Obviously, takes effort, but I was thinking, let's just say that took the guy who sent that that tea towel. Let's imagine all in going to buy the tea towel, writing the note, packaging it up, going to the post office. Let's say it took him like two hours to do that. Some people would say you can't spend two hours doing that. Whereas it might be the same person who spent two or three hours blasting out emails that hasn't had one response, yet the guy who went the effort of sending that mark that t- tea towel got, got a good outcome. But yeah, I think uh, we can maybe dive into this. I, I feel like I feel like email is there's a is a very challenging channel for a lot of people right now, and a lot of the data shows that, especially during the pandemic, the send rates of emails went up, and the re- reply rates came significantly down. So I think that's a difficult channel. But I, um, the other the other one that I'm kind of still convinced is like can be so successful for so many people yet so few people are doing it is is video i, I do believe is, is a very powerful mechanism not many people are leveraging but everybody that i hear that receives these videos are watching them and are responding to them so that that's a that's a yeah. uh, something for anybody listening to this and who prospects to take note of one of our enterprise customers attributes the video message our bdm sent to him as the reason that we have the contract and now we work across multiple divisions what a story a couple of thoughts uh on this part of the conversation one you know mantra number one business fit business value there's no point hammering someone with phone omni-channel whatever if there isn't a fit and there's no value that you can offer so i think we we sometimes forget that as well and isn't it funny how you know i i used to use a slide in in training saying um you know a little image it was a cartoon of someone getting loads of emails and feeling bogged down and then receiving a letter and going oh a letter just for me and it's one of those (laughs) things where you know we sort of full circle and you know, when I was in corporate life, so, you know, a while ago selling global software solutions, I used to text my stakeholder because that was the way that mm. she would respond. And so texting's not new, but I think what is new is people feel comfortable doing it because it all lands up on the same machine. So people might say, I don't answer my phone, but they do if they answer to a text. So again, it's sort of, to Rich's point, it's trying out what works. And I love your comment. Most things don't work if you're not very good at them. <laughs> Because that's, yeah, that's, t- that's, t- that's totally the point, and uh, and that's the same thing when it comes to direct mail. We've got some, uh, we you know, some awards for for one of the campaigns we did, and we won uh, a global account on the back.
back of it and just piqued his interest enough to get into a conversation to show that we were relevant, to be able to tell some stories, to be able to talk about value and, you know, the sales conversation commences. Was this your your pizza mailing, I think, Richard? Yes. So we sent so we sent a pizza bot. It was it was dead cheap to run as a campaign. Massive ROI because it was, you know, cheap and it landed a contract. And it was a pizza box with a picture inside, a voucher to um you know, to get a Domino's on the back of have a conversation with us. And but more importantly, this is why we want to have the conversation. Yeah. You know, that's the important bit. Quite like the tea towel idea, as long as the fit's there. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, when I was head of a sales academy for a big FMCG company, you obviously get lots of suppliers trying to contact you. And there was a guy who used to do regularly do different kind of, I think they refer to it in direct members, lumpy mail. So it was like a little toy monkey that stuck to your window. And it was like the title was get the monkey off your back and things. And they were all very creative and different. I have a friend of mine who built a very successful IT services company and they had rubber ducks as part of their brand identity or something. <laughs> And he used to mail little plastic ducks to people. Kind of hard to ignore those if they if they land on your desk. And again, if it's relevant and, and it works, give it a go. But there's the balance, right? Because marketing has spent years, decades, sending crap with no relevance yeah. to people trying to get their attention. Whereas actually, I think with the world we're in now, where they connect the two worlds of marketing and sales, is that Rich and his team will be informing the marketing department about what works. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I remember, again, back in corporate life, marketing had this campaign we we sent everyone a london double-decker toy bus i'm like well what's that got to do with anything that we're trying to talk yeah. about and they yeah. they were stumped by the question whereas i think the world we're in now where you ideally are integrating those two departments divisions then suddenly it's got power because sales should be informing this is the message this is the story and then marketing are help, helping us to pique the attention of the right people at the right time yeah, I was talking to the MD of a, a very, very large, successful car. I don't have permission necessarily to share the story without checking with him, but they use gifting and they, they work out, they do some research and they send a very, very relevant book to the person that they know the person is interested in and they get it parceled up really nicely. And it shows that they've done their research on the person as an individual and he claims that's been very, very successful and cheap. Richard, to your point, right, really cost effective, but it works quite nicely. But of course, all these things test, split test, etc. Rich, you mentioned cold calling and, and sort of, I guess, anxiety about that or even call reluctance to, to maybe warmer prospects can be a challenge. How do you go about addressing that? Yeah, and I, I think call reluctance, call anxiety is a real thing. I think all of us face it to some degree, some obviously on a, on a bigger, bigger degree than others. Uh, and it can be the, well, in fact, I'll rephrase that. I, I think it is the single biggest thing that will prevent people from being successful on the phone because they have this anxiety about essentially interrupting a stranger. Uh, and, it, and it does go against all the things that you were ever told as a as a young child you know don't interrupt people don't talk to strangers and like all of a sudden we're asking people to to go against those things and so you can see why people's nature is it's not doesn't make people feel comfortable so i think the first thing to do there is to just acknowledge that it is a real thing it's not to just dismiss the fact that call reluctance call anxiety it's like oh, what do you want about just pick the phone up and call people i don't think it's as people that's not that's not how you kind of get over that with with people you think you have to first of all acknowledge that it's a real thing and address that um front on so that people on your team who may face that can feel like you're on their side like you you may experience it yourself or you know what they're feeling a few things that i think can do to get over it 
I think it's like anything, I come back to that phrase of like, th- things generally don't work if you're not very good at them. So I-, I always relate to how do you build confidence? Well, to build confidence, you have to build skill set. Those two things get hand in hand. You get more confident about something, the better at something you get. So I think, first of all, you have to give people like a structure and a framework to actually make in cold calls. Because a lot of people don't actually get taught that stuff. People just get told to make some sales calls, right? And that's just not giving someone actually a a methodology to leverage a a structure, a, a format. I think as soon as you get that, then things start to get easier because it feels like you're just less smiling and dialing, as they say, and actually you've got a, a, a an actual thought process to what you're doing. Practice, you know, practice gets you more comfortable. Um, talk a lot about practice in sales and how practice is missing a lot in sales. Despite the fact a lot of us have hobbies and sports that we're into outside of work that we'll practice, no questions whatsoever, we'll practice on a weekly basis. When it comes to the thing that pays our bills, puts roofs over our head, the thought of practicing that is kind of alien to some people. And I think that this classic phrase that gets banded around a lot, but I'm a big believer in it, I think it was the thing that once I got my head around this was the single biggest thing that just got me over any sort of phone anxieties is is this concept attaching from the outcome is not thinking so much as, hey, the purpose of making a cold call is to book a meeting. Because when you have that mindset, if you have a conversation with a prospect and you don't book a meeting, you feel like you failed. Whereas if you think about making cold calls is simply about finding the people that you may be able to help and also find those people that you may not be able to help. It just gets easier. You don't think of a call where you don't book a meeting as a failure. You just see it as like, it's just part of what I need to do, the process that I need to follow to, to, to find the people that I can help. And it was that single thing that I just reminded myself in my head is like, hey, if I don't book a meeting on this phone, it's not failure. It's actually just part of the process. Actually helps to kind of build confidence and belief in what you're doing. And I think it's not, although we've been talking sort of about picking up the phone call reluctance, you know, I've seen it working with my clients i mean one about working with a company in canada about social selling and and their particular customers very heavily involved in twitter and he was just talking to them about sending a few tweets about the company and, yeah and, and, they, and they were like and they were really uh, with the greatest respect sort of overthinking it if i sent this will anybody get offended and all this it's kind of like unless you're doing something really dumb no you know just try a few you know and it was really right. or see going in for the c-suite that's quite common i see with account managers is in my company the c-suite is three above me four above me therefore i can't possibly reach out to sea level in mm. my customers you know because i don't know they're going to be too scary or something for me to, to to deal with which that's so true simon i mean i laugh at this because i i used to be one of those people when I start in the role, I would go on LinkedIn and, and I would literally skip past calling somebody because they had director in their title or they had a suit and a quite a serious looking face on. And I was like, ooh, they look like a scary person. And I literally avoid calling those people. When actually, I would say that the best people to speak with, the people who are most open to speaking on the phone, typically are, end, end up being the most senior people in business because A, they have a genuine desire to hear if you if you talk about things they care about, they're going to hear you out. And secondly, believe it or not, but they're actually the people who are getting prospected less because there's loads of people who are too scared to contact yeah. them. But yeah, the most the more senior people that you target tend to be the most open to actually hearing you out is, is what I've kind of discovered in my career. 
when I had a proper job in a large corporate, you know, when I first started having to go into senior leader and exec team meetings and present or, and I realised how badly behaved they were. <laughs> it was just like yeah. normal chaos of any meeting. And you kind of go, and these are the people I was worried about, right? They're, 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 they're poking yeah, fun. Yeah. They're having fun with each other. They're laughing, you know, and you kind of go, well, this is, this is not what I expected, right? They're, they're just, they're just, and like maybe it's an uncrowded road, right? For folks, like you say, they're not mm. getting caught. And technology is obviously a big thing for lots of listeners to, to the insiders, Rich. And how do you view the role of particularly, say, sales enablement technology? in enhancing sales performance yeah and, and obviously the natural thing for me to do here would be to, to drink the kool-aid and to see how great it is because that's uh, you know that's the business that i've been in in the last um seven or eight years is, is specifically selling software that's all about improving sales effectiveness it is a umbrella sort of uh, way of thinking about it what i would say to, to preface this is that you use the word there an enabler simon and that's the word that i would describe it's 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 never the solution it's never like the the only solution because i still think that when it comes to improving performance we still need the human element we still need managers to be focused on coaching their their sales people and train their sales people effectively and obviously there's a, there's a lot of noise at the minute about chat and all this kind of stuff and whilst it's mind-blowing stuff i kind of i also just look at examples of it and think it's still miles away from replacing a, uh, a human being you know I, I i just see it as there's some great technology out there i sell some great technology to improve sales performance but it is only an enabler it's an accelerator it's a it's something to help with scaling but it, it's never the absolute solution and that's why more than ever sales people and i'm seeing this still saying this more now than ever before sales people are craving that human personal touch that coaching that they really desire and uh yeah that's why it's uh both of those things together is the perfect is the perfect matchup yeah i mean you know manager coaching around best utilization of sales enablement technology and, right. and following up with people and that 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 really brings it to life doesn't it coaching in in all of its i guess manifestations critical and, and richard i know you've got a great you've got a, an amazing example from durham lane in terms of how you get pe- people to be sort of c-suite outreach competent in a pretty amazing period of time richard yeah do you want to just enlighten enlighten our listeners on that one yeah sure simon and it it sort of ties together the last couple of points actually because richard's mentioned yeah we have at durham lane something you might remember it called the belief equation so Belief plus knowledge gives you confidence. Times that with understanding, putting your feet in the shoes of the prospect, that's what I believe creates high performance. And then it's the frameworks and tool sets that help you get there. Plus the technology is the enabler, the accelerator, the the scaler to help make it happen. I always talk at Durham Lane about people being our software. You know, sometimes you sit there and think, God, I wish I had a software company because software doesn't get up and leave for a better package or software doesn't get up and decide that they want to do something different or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and at other times I think, wow, you know, this is just amazing because I'm in total agreement that that human aspect is still so hugely important. And so we call ourselves a, a technology enabled uh, services business and part of our success and probably back to our, our first bit of the conversation you know there are thousands of people around the world putting calls into prospecting prospect organizations every day so I, I would say the phone is, is still alive and well we're about 130 people now so a tiny fraction of that but you know there is definitely an industry that recognizes that warm calling or cold calling whatever you want to however you want to term it works but we've developed a program that enables us within about four weeks to have someone with 
with no experience, as long as they have effort, attitude and aptitude. In about four weeks, we can have them prospecting in on behalf of our customers with a question-based, value-based approach uh, using our selling at higher level methodology into the C-suite. And um, I love Rich's thought that you know, this is what we talk about as well. It's it's not it's if every call was about getting a meeting, we'd all be hugely unsuccessful. It'd be very hard, wouldn't it, to think about? It'd be very hard to have a really successful day if every call the outcome was meant to be a meeting. But you know, therefore, what do we challenge ourselves on? What are the what are the success points along the journey to the meeting? So we've we've developed that out. It means that you have to get people in deep from from day one. We use the seventy twenty ten learning model to help embed skill and knowledge. And and uh, it is unfortunately in life, practice makes perfect. It's always been a, just a frustration, isn't it? That I just know that to get better, I need to practice something. You've got one-to-one sort of human coaching, Richard, all uh, throughout this process. Yeah. And, you know, and spoiler, we use, we use Richard, the technology from Lego. So we use, yeah. we <clears throat> use the um, conversation intelligence platform because you know what does that help us do well it helps us to accelerate um learning but also it helps us to share to share best practice and and that's that's the big game changer in the use of tech in our world is you don't just have to sort of hear it through the grapevine anymore you can actually go in and you know a new starter could go and listen to 50 great call openings you know over an hour or whatever Whereas in the past, I would have to listen to what my mate was doing on the other side of the sales floor. Yeah, yes. <laughs> it's, uh, take some of the guesswork out of it. Yeah, that's it's 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 a fantastic um, it's a fantastic case study from sort of like standing start to four weeks, C level competent and confident. But it's mindset, isn't it? It's mindset and mindset and belief. And yeah, you know, are they the finished article? No, because I don't think anyone is. But can they have a professional outreach conversation? Yes. And Richard, just just connecting your comment about software doesn't get up and leave and Rich's comment about particularly during the pandemic, that human contact piece, most of the exit interview data I've ever seen says relationship with line manager is a number one reason to be departing. So if you're if you're coaching and some work I did previously in talent retention, they want to know they're going to be able to advance. They want to know they're going to be able to develop. They want to feel they're appropriately challenged and they want to feel connected with the organization. And I think coaching is one of those things that can probably tick all, all four of those boxes. Yeah, I've, I've always said a silver lining of, of the pandemic for Durham Lane is that, well, it's now about 30, 36% of our workforce are no longer in the northeast of England. So we're not mm. we're not constrained by location like we were. That that comes with other challenge, which is, you know, how do you how do you push a culture through digital channels? And end of the day, it's how you communicate with people yeah. and how you're supported and feeling like you're part of the journey and part of the part of the organization. And um, yeah, it's it sort of created a bit of a new world for a lot of companies i think yes definitely i mean it's a challenge and, and always as there is opportunity as well you know and, and rich i know you're a big advocate of sales coaching so kind of i'm preaching to the converted here but i guess a question i'm always fascinated by is why does it seem to be frequently undervalued and also underutilized because it's such a powerful way of engaging people and improving performance yeah it's a baffling one isn't it because you said the word undervalued there and the data suggests that's right but the, what makes it confusing is that i think if you asked most people out there is sales coaching a valuable thing to do you'd be hard fine to say one of them that uh, one person that'll say no i think it's a waste of time in fact 
the actual data that we've we've seen is that the majority of sales leaders surveyed say that coaching is a highly valuable integral activity for success yet on the flip side that the, the sales people the people that they're supposedly coaching are saying that they, they rarely or, or are never getting coached so there's this massive disconnect and i think there's probably lots of reasons for it but i think the main ones that it boils down to a i think people kind of kid themselves that they're spending time coaching when that they probably they probably aren't they just kind of one of those things that it makes them feel better to feel like they they say they're doing it but the other side of it is i think a lot of people feel like what they're doing is coaching but that's not being perceived in the same way by the people that that they are coaching and a lot of when we when you dig into that i think a lot of the sales leaders feel that they're coaching what their sales people are actually seeing is i'm being interrogated on my deals i'm being challenged on you know why haven't you made this many calls today i'm i'm going to virtual meetings or face-to-face meetings with my manager and you know they're there as a support mechanism but in reality the manager has taken over the sales call in the sales meeting i think when you look at all these things there's this there's this massive disconnect i think the other side of it the more nuanced side of it is that a lot of managers aren't taught how to coach it is a it is actually a skill that you have to develop i'm always trying to get better at it myself i know that i you know i still fall down some of the kind of the sins of of, of coaching as, as i would describe it but i you know try and try and work at those things but the data also doesn't lie that says when people get regular effective coaching all the metrics go in the right direction and to, to such an extent that coaching has such a monumental impact on performance that the C level in every business should take should pay notice to it because it's it can move the share price quite frankly. So yeah, I know that I've, I've chucked a lot there, but yeah, there is that disconnect between people believing that it's valuable, but actually the reality as it plays out doesn't necessarily back that up. I think sometimes is is people think it takes a lot longer than in reality it actually does. Mm. You know, and and drip feeding coaching is also a very effective thing to do. It doesn't have to be right now let us get 45 minutes in the diary for coaching. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's in the moment, isn't it? And it just just becomes the way it is in the in the company. I mean, I, I've bleated on about this for, well, now it'll be 14 years, but it, it's the, no one ever recommends sales to anyone. Where do we start this call? The Happy Trip Up Club, right? So no one recommends sales as through an education channel. You know, it's, there are lots of reasons for that. We can go into it another time. Therefore, it's not seen as a profession in the formal sense. And when you have a profession, you have frameworks and you have structure and you have ways of doing things. So you'll have continual development, you'll have CPD, you'll have whatever, 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 you'll have structured frameworks there. Sales, that doesn't exist. So when the pressure's on, the sales manager is just looking at the number. And when they're doing sales coaching, they're just used to looking at the number. And frankly, that's probably what they're most bothered about. And so they haven't been trained how to coach. We, and we all fall into that trap, right? You go in for a coaching session, you get stuck into a deal. You're like, why is this not happening? Why is that? And suddenly that's not coaching. That's sort of interrogating someone. So I think it's really fundamental and, and it is changing and it is getting better in it. Certainly has got better over those years, but you're dead right, Rich, the, the sales coaching disconnect. I mean, that's your second book title probably. I did like what Simon said though about that. It doesn't have to be seen as this like, we've got to schedule an hour in the calendar. It has to be a big thing. Like I'll give an example. I was just having a one-to-one which, by the way, one-to-ones doesn't equate sales coaching. I think people have that mindset too. I was having a one-to-one with my one of my team yesterday, and we were talking about a deal that she's working on, and it, it turned into this whole thing around like challenges with negotiation. And what that then transpired into was like just unplanned 
10 minute role play of let's revisit what happened in that call last week let's let's role play it out and let's see how you would you would approach it differently this time and did, it was an impromptu activity it was essentially 10 minutes of of coaching and again it was it was dynamic it was relevant it was based on something that she's working on at the minute it didn't have to be this big thing yeah. but at the end of it i always finish every coaching session is was that useful was that helpful the answer you're looking for is of course yes if, if it's because you want to make sure the only person that can decide if coaching was helpful as the person that you coached yeah it's like i say just slide slide easily into it and and i think also sellers will often be entirely oblivious that actually quote unquote coaching is taking place they just think it's been a really useful conversation that's helped them to to overcome a problem overcome a challenge and they want more of it as well that's the other thing i think that's the trial say to sales managers sales leaders when they come hunting you <laughs> then because they they want to have a conversation as in they want to be coached then you really know you're you're getting somewhere yeah Uh, so richard we normally do your your pithy summary of some of the key points of wisdom shared from our illustrious guests putting on the pressure now yeah well look rich i I knew it was going to be a good one and uh i've really enjoyed the chat so thanks again from the insiders but yeah where do we start well we started with uh the happy trip up club that we're all proud members of. And we sort of came back to that as we went through the conversation, but we've talked about prospecting omnichannel is a must. Um, I think easiest way, take out the cold and call it warm. If you're doing business fit, business value, then it should be a warm call. You're, you're investigating to see if there's a fit. I love the idea of spend the channels where you get most of your success. So, you know, focus on the things you're good at and get better at them. And uh, most things don't work if you're not very good at them. So that the other part of that, which is useful. We talked about call anxiety, thought about, you know, that belief equation and the skill structure and practice that goes in to help people become successful. That then shifted to us to uh, technology as an enabler. Um, I've written down here, enable, accelerate, scale. And the human, you know, what are you trying to enable, accelerate, scale, where you're trying to do that with human effectiveness. And then finally, we, we looked at uh, the value of sales coaching and, you know, the, the sales coaching disconnect. And uh, I guess I've sort of thought about this a lot over the years. And one thing we were saying there, I just, I wonder if the disconnect isn't quite as big as we think, because perhaps people just don't realize that they're in a coaching environment. And in a way, that's sort of what you're looking for, right? Is <laughs> you're not, you're not looking for someone to go, oh, I get coaching. You want them to just think, I just, I'm always supported wherever I go. And perhaps that sort of coaching environment is the, you know, the nirvana for us to build build in our sales organizations so that everyone is continually looking to improve their practice. So that would be an amazing place for us to head towards. Absolutely. Thank thank you, Richard. And um, uh, Rich, just before we go, final question for you, which is often one of the more challenging ones. Uh, we're building the Insiders Spotify playlist and we ask every guest to add a song. What is your chosen song, Rich, you're going to add to this very eclectic, I ought to say, uh, playlist yeah as you can imagine I, I had sleepless nights trying to think of this because it was <laughs> so hard to pick one but the song i'm going to put forward uh is, a, is by a band called the gaslight anthem who were one of my favorite bands there uh from new jersey in in the u.s more of a, a kind of americana sort of uh rock band and uh yeah they, i mean they've got tons of great songs but I'll, I'll chuck forward the song 45 isn't the number 45 is one of my favorite songs that they uh and it's you know, if you if you want to do a cold calling session, just blast that on, and you'll be uh, ready, <laughs> ready, ready to go. So is, is that that's your motivational track? I've not heard of them, so that'll be a that'll be a good one. 
So that is that is Rich's motivational booster prior to, to hitting the phone, folks. So thank you very much. Uh, wonderful. So thank you very much to Rich for joining us on this episode of The Insiders by Durham Lane. Thank you to my co-host, Richard, and thank you for listening in, folks. Uh, please subscribe to The Insiders podcast on your preferred podcasting site, and you'll be notified of new episodes as and when they're released, which they are on a regular basis. And visit durhamlane.com to learn more about selling at a higher level in the meantime good luck and good selling folks the insiders by durham lane subscribe today to never miss an episode